When I was uh, an undergraduate in college many years ago, <laughs> a fellow student showed up at my dorm room one night and asked if, he could t if we could talk. I said, sure. Now, I knew who this person was, but we weren't friends. We did participate in some of the same activities. And he said, I need to ask you to forgive me for some things that I've thought about you and some things that I've been saying about you. I was really surprised, you know. I thought I was just a great guy. <laughs> so I said, what things? Well, I don't really want to get into that, he said. I just need for you to forgive me. He said, I was praying recently, and you know, I realized it was on my mind. It was sort of bugging my conscience. So I've come to put things right. Well, I didn't really know what to say. You know, it, it, I really did want to know what he was talking about. But it was sort of awkward. And I really didn't want to prolong his presence in my room, to be honest. So I said, sure. To my knowledge, we never spoke again. Now, I'm not sure what that was, other than him easing a conscience. But I know it wasn't really forgiveness. It was clearing the air, sort of. Although I have to say, after that meeting, it bothered me for months to know what he'd been saying about me. And I even went to some of his friends like, what? What did you hear about me? <laughs> I never found out. So I let it go. Why was it not forgiveness? Because it did not involve recognition of the truth. And it was not about a relationship. It was a transaction. And forgiveness is all about relationship. Our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. See, Jesus places forgiveness at the very center of what it means to be a disciple, a follower of his. Why? Well, because even to be a Christian, to be a member of the community of God's people means receiving God's gift of forgiveness. We recognize our need, we confess that need, and then we receive His mercy. Then, in turn, that forgiveness we've received is to be offered to others. We can't be Christian if we do not receive forgiveness. We can't be Christian if we're not willing to give it. David Schlafer said, forgiveness does not flow to us if it does not flow through us. And you know, we acknowledge that each time we pray the Lord's Prayer, petitioning God's mercy in the measure that we've shown mercy to others. Sobering. Forgiveness is the fifth discipline of Christian community that Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 18. And last week we heard about the resolution of conflict within the community and the process for that that we're to make sustained attempts to heal conflict when it occurs in ways that are both redemptive and restorative. And you know, the, the, the good news of that is when we get together in prayerful unity, two or three, when we work to bring about peace, Jesus is present. So it, it makes sense that the passage we have today, Peter's question flows directly from what we heard last week. Basically, he's saying, if there is conflict, and I have to learn to love well, then how many times do I have to forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? What are the limitations of that? Seven times? 
Now, Peter, I'm sure, thought he was being rather magnanimous in that because the rabbinic tradition just required three times. So he ups it, thinking, surely seven is enough. Jesus says, no, it's not. But 77, or 70 times seven, is it sometimes rendered. In other words, a forgiveness so free and open that it defies counting. You see, Jesus is denying here the natural human desire to retaliate, to get even. We have a right, don't we? I've been wronged, so I should be able to expect some evening of the score. Well, this is what people normally think. It's what I often think. And it was something behind generations of human interaction leading up to the time of Jesus. An eye for an eye and all of that. In Genesis 4, Lamech, who is a descendant of Cain, glories in the deepening wickedness of humanity. And he declares that if someone would wound him or strike him, he will retaliate with killing. It's an ancient song, actually. And what it says there in Genesis 4 is that he'll get even 77 times over. Jesus here is undoing the bloodlust of Lamech. No, Peter, you're to forgive so many times that if you have to count, you're not really forgiving. In the Christian community, if we want to follow Jesus, we're called to the practice of radical forgiveness. It's the kind of forgiveness we see in the cross of Christ. And it's an appropriate place for our reflection on the eve of Holy Cross Day. To drive home his point, like he does so often, Jesus tells a parable. And in the story, which I think is, is a Gentile uh, king here, in the story, the servant of the king, probably a high-level leader actually, owes so much that he cannot repay it. It's an astounding amount. And those who heard it would have immediately known that it was ridiculous. It was an amazing exaggeration. And I don't think we have a sense of it. Uh, in the message, Eugene Peterson translates it, $100,000. Well, really, uh, it's much, much more than that. 10,000 bags of gold, or if you will, 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a large sum. It was equal to 15 years of wages for a laborer. And 10,000 is like the largest number, myriad. It's just, there's no number bigger than that. So basically, what Jesus is saying is, this owned a gazillion, he owed a billion bucks. <laughs> for comparison, the annual tax income for all of Herod the Great's territories was 900 talents per year. 10,000 would exceed the taxes for all of Syria, Phoenicia, Judea, and Samaria. It's a staggering sum. It cannot be repaid. It's impossible. And so the servant falls to his knees and begs for mercy. And it's granted. <laughs> the debt is completely forgiven. That is mercy beyond all expectation and all accounting. And you know, that is the model. That's the picture of God's forgiveness to us. Of what we have received for a debt we could never pay, but it's also a model of forgiveness that we're to offer to others. However, the parable doesn't end there, does it? 
Because if the servant was grateful, he didn't show it very well. He did not extend mercy to someone who owed him a much smaller amount, something that could have probably been worked out over time. Instead, he throws the man into the debtor's prison. And when the king hears of this, he rescinds his pardon. He turns the man over to be tortured, which echoes in Shakespeare's phrase, a pound of flesh. And then at the conclusion of this parable, we have this warning from Jesus, and it's troubling to us. We don't like to hear Jesus talk like this, do we? But it is a warning that if we refuse to truly forgive our brother or sister, a similar fate awaits us. Wow. Now, it is a parable, and here it's also allegory, and it's full of exaggeration. But I think the point is clear. In the Christian community, we must forgive one another. And we must do so in a manner that's overflowing and abundant. Confession is important to forgiveness, isn't it? But we don't always experience that from those who have wronged us. We don't always get, uh, hey, I'm sorry for that. But we want to be those who confess our faults one to another and then offer forgiveness and absolution, not just to clear our consciences, although that's part of it, but mostly to safeguard our relationships so that we can continue in unhindered fellowship and the Lord can be known in and through our community. So his love and peace can flow. Lack of forgiveness blocks that up. It just There's no way a community can be life-giving for itself or for the witness to the community beyond if it is not living in this kind of radical forgiveness. Kenneth Chafin was a pastor, author, and seminary professor in Houston, and he wrote this. He said, forgiveness isn't pretending nothing has happened or pretending that what happened didn't hurt. It isn't even forgetting it completely, and it isn't going back and starting over as though it hadn't ever happened. Instead, forgiveness is refusing to let anything permanently destroy the relationship. There's a place for saying, I'm sorry. There's a place for assuring the other person that all is forgiven. But the goal of both is to rebuild the relationship. One of the amazing things about a healthy beginning again is that the relationship is often stronger than it was before. Now, I'm so thankful to say that I have experienced the truth of that, of having relationships restored and even deepened after a time of brokenness. And it's forgiveness that has made that possible. Sometimes it's me offering forgiveness. Uh, Sometimes, maybe even more, it's me asking to be forgiven. But that's a key part of healing. And I know I've shared this before, and I'm not going to go into any detail, but there was a specific instance in my own life where I needed to offer forgiveness. And I had not. And I wasn't even in connection with this person anymore, but I held that in my heart. And the Lord provided an opportunity for me to let that go. And it was right before I was called to serve as rector here. And I know I couldn't have stepped into that, this role if I had not cleared that. And I did. And, and that relationship has been restored and even more than it was before. Forgiveness played a huge role in South Africa after apartheid. And it actually helped the nation avert a bloody revolution, but it required confession 
by F.W. de Klerk. He said he wasn't going to do that. And um, Desmond Tutu went to him and said, you, you must apologize. You must. And he did, and it was received. It was received. Also, forgiveness was part of the national conversation following the terrible genocide in Rwanda in 1994. But it's important to know that forgiveness cannot be demanded. It cannot be offered on behalf of someone else. And the wrong done must see the light of day and be acknowledged. Forgiveness as a healing power between people in the community and beyond has the ability to stop disintegration. And it opens the door to wholeness. Theologian Miroslav Volf insists that to triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. He says the, the first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. This was actually the principle behind the nonviolent resistance of Martin Luther King Jr. and those who followed in his footsteps. Jesus tells Peter, you can't restrict, limit, or quantify the forgiveness that you're willing to give. And he tells us if we're not willing to display mercy like the mercy we've received, we will not experience the fullness of his life. In fact, just the opposite. Now, this doesn't set aside the requirements of justice. I know sometimes people think forgiveness does that. It doesn't. Forgiving wrong is not an end run around what, be, what must be made right. And it's not a way of winking at sin or injustice or being dismissive of hurt. But forgiveness functions in some powerful and mysterious way in the fulfillment of God's divine justice. It has some part to play because it denies evil the final say. It's not the weak who forgive, but those who know the strength of the Lord. And it's very costly. Forgiveness sounds good, right? Well, let's all get along and be great and peaceful until we have to really enter a hard place of forgiving others. Then we know how much it costs. But the good news of that is that we don't have to manufacture the desire or the ability to seek paths of forgiveness. That is not a burden or lifeless obligation because lives marked by forgiveness are gifts from the one who has forgiven us much. Because of the mercy and grace that we've received from God, we're now free to walk in forgiveness with others. We don't have to keep score. We just need to remain open open to one another, and especially open to the forgiveness from God that keeps our lives in peace and holiness and goodness each day. It's why the daily rhythm uh, of, the, of the office, uh, the daily office liturgy, always includes a confession and a prayer of receiving God's mercy. In closing, I want to offer a prayer that was found on an ancient papyrus. Uh, from the early church in the first several centuries, and it reads very much like something contemporary. It just shows that we're people, and people throughout all the ages have had this need to know how to forgive and to walk in unity and in peace with God and their fellow people. So let us pray.
Do not think of the sins that we have committed or of those we still commit. Put out of your mind the failings we give way to night and day. Do not impute our offenses to us, whether we did them on purpose or whether we could not help them. Remember, Lord, that we are apt to make slips. We're a spineless race given to blundering. Think of our build, our limitations. Our skin may be sound, but there are sores underneath. O oh God, you are well disposed to us. Give us the strength of your support. Give us encouragement and give the light that goes with it. Make us live by the dogmas of the faith preached by your holy apostles and the high teaching of the gospels of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.